everyone, welcome to Horizon. If you're able to, let's all stand on up together. Let's worship our risen King. Come on. Remember those walls that we caught sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But He came and He died and He rose. Those walls are rubble now. Those giants we caught death and grave They were like mountains that stood in our way But He came and He died and He rose Those giants are dead now Oh, this is our God This is our God This is who He is He loves us This is our God what he does, he saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. Amen. Remember that fear that took our breath away. It's so weak that we could barely. Yes, he did. Now those altars in the wilderness tell the story of his faithfulness. Never once did he fail, and he never will. Oh, this is our God. This is who he is. He loves us. This is our God. Is what he does, he saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. Who pulled me out of that pit? He did, he did. Who paid for all of our sins? Nobody but Jesus. Sins, nobody but Jesus who rescued me from that grave, Yahweh, Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise, nobody but Jesus who rescued me from that grave, Yahweh, Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise, nobody but hell. This is our God, this is who we are. What he does, he saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. Oh, God. 
He is risen. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Let's continue to sing together, to worship the mighty name of Jesus, and to celebrate the greatness of our God. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. And trembles at his voice, and trembles at his voice. How great is our God? Sing with me, how great is our God? And all will see how great, how great is our God.
cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all
please have a seat. We are celebrating today because Christ, our Lord and our God, is risen from the dead. And I love how that song really captures all of the emotions and the events of what would have happened in those last few days that Jesus would have experienced all those years ago from the feelings of guilt and shame that we can carry when we hear that it was our wrongdoing, our sin that he had to die for. And yet that nobody put him up to it. Nobody forced him. He chose that because he loves us. You can think of the darkness of the time that he was in the tomb and the uncertainty that his friends had, but also the joy of that first Easter morning as the sun was coming up and they discovered that Christ is risen today. And after his resurrection, he appeared to hundreds of people, but among them were some of his closest friends. In fact, some of them he saw all together at one dinner, but one man was missing, a man named Thomas. And so John chapter 20 tells us that now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Jesus said to him, Thomas, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, like we just sang. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The head that once was crowned with thorns Is crowned with glory To him we will 
morning and what it means to celebrate the mighty name of Jesus our resurrected King father would you speak into our hearts as we study your word together and it's in Jesus name that we all pray amen well amen it is great being with you today and uh, welcome to friends and family members who are with us it is just an awesome day to celebrate hope and victory and joy the things we just sang about and, you know, Christianity claims that, that it offers absolute confidence that you can know who God is. Absolute assurance that you can know that you're going to heaven one day. Absolute assurance that, that this world is broken as hard as it can be. This is not the real existence. This is the beginning of a whole new existence called eternity. But it's one thing to claim those things, but does Jesus have the receipts and the claim support to back it up? Today I want to talk about touch-and-go faith. Touch-and-go faith. I've been learning how to fly the last couple years, and I've learned about what's called a touch-and-go. So touch-and-go is when you're coming in on your plane, and you make your way for your final approach. You're coming down on the airstrip, and just as you're landing, you touch. Got everything lined up. It's feeling pretty good. But instead of fully landing there, you gun it, and you take back off again. And you circle around. You practice the takeoff. You get ready for that, that landing again. And sure enough, touch and then you go again. And for many of us, we've looked at the evidence for Jesus and his death and resurrection, and we are convinced, and we are convicted, and we know it's true. Others of us are like, you know, I'm not sure I've checked it out, and quite frankly, it sounds kind of ridiculous. A real guy really died and really came back to, 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 to live again? And yet, along the way, you'll be like, you know what, I, I like my grandma's faith. I mean, she's got this deep joy and peace about her. Maybe I'll try it out. And so maybe in your 20s, you kind of come down, you kind of touch again. I kind of like what grandma has or what my parents have demonstrated. Then you're like, well, I don't know. But still, Christianity seems kind of judgmental and kind of exclusive. And it seems to judge other people all the time. We kind of circle around again. Maybe five, ten years go by. And you start remembering, like, I kind of like the idea of going to heaven. That sounds kind of nice. Seeing people who died before me, I like that. So you kind of go against, make the approach, come down, touch. And just as you're about to land, you're like, yeah, but didn't Jesus claim to be the only way to get to God? There's a lot of religions in the world. That's a pretty big claim. And then we take off and we go again. What's amazing is that Jesus invites doubting. He invites questions. He invites that kind of process as we go through figuring out what's really true. In fact, Jesus invites skeptics to touch the evidence and go convinced. He invites skeptics. And then he inspires believers to know that it's true, the evidence that it is true. It's not just a nice story your parents handed to you, to know and go convinced. We see that with Thomas. He says, Thomas, you got some questions? You got some doubts? Reach your finger here, touch. Look at my hands, touch. Reach your hand here, put your hand on my side. And then don't be 
unbelieving, but believing. Go convinced. Then he speaks to another group that would come in the future. People who weren't first-hand witnesses but would have to trust in the first-hand witnesses. He says, but blessed are those who do believe. Who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Affirming and inspiring believers to know and go convinced. I want to give you three touch points of Thomas's life. He's kind of known for being doubting Thomas at the end of his life. But let me take you to some, some little snippets of his life, little touch points he had with Jesus. Because I think they're touch points all of us have in our journey. One of those is that at some point in your life, no matter what the subject is and what the belief system is, you're going to have to make your beliefs your beliefs. Meaning, maybe your skepticism came from your family who said, we don't believe in that kind of nonsense, so we're scientists, we don't believe in myths about a guy coming back from the dead. And you've been handed those beliefs. And they become your beliefs, but have you ever made them your beliefs? Have you ever tested those things? Have you ever examined those things? Or maybe your dad was a Christian, or your grandma was a Christian, the culture you grew up in was a Christian. You grew up because we're Catholic as a family, we're Protestant, we're Baptist. And you were handed certain beliefs, but there comes a moment that you've got to test it for yourself. I did it in my 20s. Went, oh my goodness, is this really working? Is this my parents' belief or my belief? And I had to wrestle with that, making my beliefs my beliefs. Have you ever made your beliefs your beliefs? See, Thomas is hanging out with the other disciples, and they're with Jesus. And a good friend of theirs named Thomas, uh, named, uh, named Lazarus, rather, has gotten sick. And to go visit Lazarus where he's sick, it's going to require a lot of persecution. There's a lot of danger up there. And so the disciples turn to, to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you. It used to be popular to be with Jesus. Lots of big crowds feeding the 5,000. Now it's like, uh, I don't think we want to go there. We're going to get stoned. Are you really going to go there again? And Jesus then tells them plainly that Lazarus isn't just sick. He says, actually, Lazarus is dead. He died. What he says next is shocking. <laughs> this is his best friend, Lazarus. And I am glad. You're glad Lazarus is dead? Your best friend? For your sakes that I was not there to heal him. Why? That you may believe. We're going to go to some place that's going to require persecution. But I'm going to show you my power over life and death. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He doesn't give him all the facts there. He just says, go with me and i got some stuff to show you. And of every disciple, the one that raises his hand is Thomas, who says, let us all go, that we may die with him. Guys, I don't care what you're going to do. I, I don't know what you're going to decide, but I'm making these my beliefs. I'm going with him. My beliefs were easy when it was easy, but they're going to be my beliefs even when it's hard. I want to be with him. I want to see what he wants to show me. And he goes with them. He raises his hand. You know, in the 1700s, there was a man named John history and, and he grew up in England with lots of Bible teaching and, and family that were in the church and talking about Jesus and God and he actually tried to live out some of the ethical things about that but it wasn't until he was in Oxford he joined a Bible study with his brother and some friends and they started studying the book of Romans which is the main message of the Bible it says that God came from heaven to earth to die for us. And he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, we didn't live up to our own standards. That's when God died for us and he, and this is what struck John, you don't earn your way into heaven. God gives you a right standing with him. He forgives you past, present, future so you can live with no condemnation. Now John had kind of heard this his whole life. He'd heard about God. He tried to live for God. But he never realized the whole message was about knowing God personally. He wrote in his journal later, he said, 
my heart was strangely warmed that night. As something happened, it wasn't, God was no longer a concept. He was in him and with him. He would go on to write a hymn, a hymn that you've probably sung if you've been at Horizon for many years. We always end our Easter service with it, which is Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Written by a man in the 1700s who had more influence on everything you know to be true today. John Wesley was his name because of this personal moment he had when he made his beliefs, not his parents' beliefs or his culture's beliefs, but his beliefs. You ever done that? You ever decide if the skepticism handed to you is really true, you're going to check it out? If the beliefs handed to you, your parents, are they your beliefs or are they just their beliefs? And it's not a one-time decision. It's like ongoing decisions. The second touch point for Thomas, he shows up again, and now he's going to have to arm wrestle his beliefs with his doubts. Like, I thought I believed this, but what do you do when life doesn't work out the way you hoped? And God doesn't seem to be acting the way he should. And things aren't going according to your expectations. Do you still have those beliefs? You see, the disciples, they're all in on Jesus, but they're hoping he's going to be the king that, that kicks out the Romans. They're thinking he's bringing a political agenda. He keeps talking about weird stuff that just doesn't even go on their radar because it's not their expectations. He gathers them together. Hey, guys, let not your heart be troubled. They're like, we're living under Rome. Rome's crucifying people, killing people all the time. He says, yeah, I know, but this world isn't all there is. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, that's good. It's a good start, but you've got to move on. I want you to believe in me. I'm claiming to be God in front of you. And then he takes a huge left turn. And I'm going to get rid of the Romans. No, he says, by the way, in my father's house are many mansions. Hey, if it were not so, I would have told you. So I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, you can be there also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Camera pans to the disciples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have no idea what he's talking about. Maybe you're like you. Like, what is he talking about? Jesus is in not talking about what he's going to do with the Romans. He's talking about going to a whole other world. He's talking about his death. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about returning from heaven to prepare a place. The only guy who has enough courage to wrestle with his questions and doubts is Thomas. Raises his hand and says, "Hey, Lord, we, we we don't know where you're going. And how could we know the way?" He's willing to ask the question, say he doesn't get it, say he doesn't understand, say he's, he's not quite with it. To which Jesus will pull him aside and say, Thomas, I am. Now that's the name of God from the Old Testament appeared to Moses. I am Yahweh. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. If you know me, you know the way. You may not understand all of it, but to know me is to know everything you need to know. So a lady sharing her story about wrestling with her skepticism to faith. She talked about how much she loved going to grandma's house. Remember like, spending the night at grandma's house, how great it was? Well, she loved spending the night at grandma's house, and grandma would let her sleep in the bed next to her when they're going to bed at night. She said grandma was a believer in Jesus and God. She always had this peace about her that she loved. But at night when grandma fell asleep, you could just see her kind of deep breathing. <sighs> She's falling asleep. One day as a little girl, it just struck her like, man, what if grandma died? What happens when you die? 
just this idea that maybe after her death is just bleakness and darkness is nothing else. And this put this deep fear in her as a little girl that stayed with her all through high school and college. She said in high school she avoided drugs and alcohol, not for some ethical reason or moral standard, just because she didn't want to increase her chance of dying. It was just that all-consuming. Well, she went into philosophy and, and got into you know, studying science. She became convinced that the Bible was ridiculous, religion was ridiculous, and she became what she called an evangelical atheist, <laughs> always telling people how, how their beliefs were just utterly nonsense. She loved doing it. She loved arguing. She got her first job uh, teaching, and she got invited to a wedding. At the end of the ceremony, she ends up hanging out at a table, meets a guy, and he introduces himself as a follower of Jesus, to which she, you know, took it upon herself to make sure he knew what an idiot he was. And so she followed her best arguments and kind of sliced him down and sliced him around. But she was struck that he responded with kindness, with patience, and with love. But more than that, what struck her is that he claimed he believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, and he actually had evidence and claim support for it. She had never heard before. Two-hour conversation. She said it was pretty belligerent, but she got intrigued. So they met again next week, and they talked. This time she moved from belligerent to curious, and then another meeting, and another meeting. This went on for months. And pretty soon she began to find there was evidence she had never seen before, never discovered before, never looked into before. She became very curious. And finally he, he told her, he goes, well, the main message of the Bible is that God came from heaven to earth because he loved us. We couldn't live up to our own standards. He died for us. That we can know he's in our life now and we're going to heaven and we will know him. You know for sure what happens in the next life because he's been there. She said, well, I want to follow Jesus. And that was after a long process. She came to know Jesus and believe in him based on the evidence and wrestling with her faith and doubt. And then you know what she did? She married that guy. <laughs> that was a good guy right there. She married him for his patience and his kindness. And then she said she used to read the Bible. It used to just seem like absolute malarkey. And now when she read it, it was like somebody was in there speaking to her. It's like, this is true. She said that, that, that fear of death she'd had since the little girl was removed, she now knew that when she faced the <laughs> death itself, she knew the one who defeated death, and that's where her confidence came from. We're all going to go through stages of doubt when Life and God doesn't live up to our expectations. We're arm wrestling our, our beliefs with our faith. The last scene we show up is the touch point of Jesus has just been killed. And now what are you going to do? Because now the third touch point is that Jesus wants you to touch and see your beliefs. Christianity doesn't claim to be philosophy. It doesn't claim to be religion. It actually claims to be history. Things you can touch and see and check out. And, and Thomas knows all these guys, that's 12 disciples. He's one of them. He knows them. He's been friends with them for three years. He knows these are people he can trust. He then knows a bigger group called the 70 disciples. He knows all of them. And they are going to touch and see the evidence for Jesus' death and resurrection. It's Sunday morning, the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene is on her way to the tomb early because it was still dark. And she saw, the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. She touched and saw the empty tomb. She has no expectation that Jesus is raised. None of them do. She thinks the body's been stolen. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and John and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Now she tells the disciples, Thomas now knows somebody personally who's seen the empty tomb. Touched and seen it. Peter and John have now met somebody who's done it. Do you think they believe her? Not a chance. 
Sure, right. They run to the tomb. Now two friends of Thomas, John and Peter, run to the tomb. They get there, and when they arrive, they touched and saw an empty tomb and stuff in the empty tomb. Look what it says. Peter and John were going to the tomb. They don't believe something. They see something. They stooped down. They looked in. They saw linen clothes lying there. Those were wrapped around his body. And then they saw a handkerchief that used to be around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but they're folded together. Like, grave robbers don't fold the clothes. Who in the world would take bloody old rags and a bloody old handkerchief and fold it up like a trophy of something you've done? And now they're starting to put the pieces together. And he saw that, saw it, and then believed. And as yet, there was more evidence they didn't even see yet, it says, for they did not know the scripture from the Old Testament hundreds of years ago, as well as what Jesus has been saying for three years, that this was all part of the plan. He must rise from the dead. Meanwhile, Mary is grieving by the tomb. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. Jesus wasn't supposed to die. He was supposed to be the, the plan A. And now to add insult to injury, they've stolen his body? And she's so caught up in the grief of just everything not going the way it's supposed to, she doesn't notice, but a man suddenly comes up next to her. And it says she turned and she saw Jesus standing there, but she's so caught up in her grief, she's got the evidence right in front of her, she doesn't see it. She did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And who are you seeking? Now Mary has a very sordid past of a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of men in her life. And a lot of men have said her name over the years. And they've said her name in a way that objectified her and devalued her and took something from her. It wasn't until she met Jesus, she met a man that for the first time in her life said her name in a way that infused her with value and infused her with joy, and removed her shame. The way he spoke her name was a way that no man had ever spoken her name. And in this grief of this moment of confusion, this man standing next to her leans in and says, Mary. She knows that name. She knows that voice with that name. She knows that name with that voice with that tone. No one speaks her name like that except him. She turns, it's Jesus. It's him. No one else spoke like that. No one else speaks to me like that. She could feel the love again, the hope again. She runs back to the disciples. She told the disciples, I haven't just touched and seen a tomb. I touched and saw, not a man, the Lord, God. Only God could defeat death. And you think they believed her? Not a chance. Just a grieving woman who saw crazy stuff. So they're sitting in this fearful little circle. They couldn't stand up for Jesus in front of a little girl three days ago. They're scared to death they're going to be crucified. When all of a sudden Jesus appears to them. He walks in the room and he says, peace be to you. Shalom. He said to them, take a look guys, touch and see. Touch and go convinced. He showed them his hands and he showed them his side. Guys, touch and see the scars. Touch and see it's really me. I'm not a ghost. 
Now, of all the days to be late to dinner, Thomas was not with them that day. Oh, man, what a bummer, you know. Oh, you can just imagine coming into the room that night, you know, knocking on the door. Oh, my goodness, guys, you're not going to believe the traffic jam was so bad. This camel ran into these two donkeys. Oh, my God, sorry I'm late. What are we having for dinner? And they're like, Thomas, you're not going to believe what we saw. Well, what's for dinner? No, 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 Jesus was here. I doubt it. No, really, he was here. And he showed us his hands and his, and his feet and his side. I doubt that. No, really. Twelve of his friends that he's learned to trust, plus the other 70 around there, they had all these eyewitnesses. Evidence, evidence, evidence. Touch us all, touch us all, touch us all, touch us all. And he says, I doubt it. He says, unless I see it myself, and I see the hands in the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and I put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe he wanted to touch and see it himself. Well, eight days later, the disciples are inside, and Thomas is no longer procrastinating for dinner. He's showing up on time these days. Don't want to miss out on the good stuff. And he's there with him. And Jesus walks into the room, and Jesus gives him exactly what he wants, a chance to touch and see the evidence for the beliefs. He says to Thomas, reach your hand here. These are not believe words. These are touch words. Reach your hand here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand into my side. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God, I got it. All right, the evidence is finally mounted up from person to person to person to conversation to conversation. Now he's seen it for himself. I believe. And this moment in history, when these cowardly Jewish disciples who are scared to death of the Romans see the evidence that he's alive. They are transformed and they will go into every corner of the world and they will die, not for what they believe, but for what they touched and saw. Thomas will go from skepticism to questioning to being so convinced of what he saw that day that he heads to India. He gets to India and he begins to describe the God of all creation in a culture that taught there were millions of gods, and the way to get to heaven is hopefully through karma and through the, the wheel of reincarnation, you might eventually reincarnate into heaven, but it won't be you anymore. It'll be pieces, parts of you that have been scattered. He comes to that culture and says, there is one God who made it all. And you don't have to wonder if karma, uh, you wonder if maybe you'll get there. You are you, and you are made eternal. And the God of the universe came to earth, and he died for you. And he's prepared a place for you. And his father has a place, and he died, and he went to that place. He's coming again just like he predicted. And tens of thousands of people in India come to know Jesus because of Thomas who touched and saw and he would touch and go convinced. A few weeks ago we're in a series at our church right now on science and so we're going through different sciences how they point to, to faith and the evidence for the Bible and the evidence for God. I interviewed a, a biochemist the other day who was an atheist and he talked about his journey through the evidence of biochemistry to come to the conclusion that God is God and that Jesus was the God of the Bible and to ultimately become a believer in Jesus through the science. But he said the clincher for him is he started dating a woman from India and she was a believer in Jesus. And she could speak about her convictions and speak about the claim support for what she believed. But she could actually trace her family's spiritual ancestry back 
one generation, two generations, three generations, four, all the way back to a family member that heard Thomas preach. The evidence isn't just out there in some book. They were at our first service two services ago. Actual evidence of someone here today and her family because of what happened 2,000 years ago. See what I want for you? I want you to touch and go today. Touch and go with hope. Touch and go with forgiveness. I want you to realize that the God of the universe forgave you everything you've ever done wrong. When you were an enemy of God, when you thought you knew better than God, when you, when you took the God who made you and kind of put him in a corner and said, I'll give you a little leftover time here and there. When you were doing that to God, and we've all done it, God prioritized you. God was willing to die for you. He forgave you when you were his enemy, when you ignored him. And when you touch that, you will go with forgiveness because you'll say, I can now forgive my, my family members when they're annoying and have idiosyncrasies. I can forgive my brothers, I can forgive my sisters, I can forgive my parents, I can forgive my kids. But I can also forgive my enemies. Now that's a different kind of love. See, I can forgive my enemies because God forgave me when I was an enemy. But you can also touch and go with, with hope. You don't have to wish you're going to get to heaven, hope you're going to get to heaven, hope you did enough to balance the scales. You can know and have hope for sure you're going to heaven. Why? Because you don't get to heaven based on what you do for God. You, you get in based on what Jesus did for you. Now that's confidence. To which you might say, well, Chad, isn't this whole thing a big, big circular reasoning? You just gave us a bunch of evidence from the Bible for the Bible. You see, long before these books were in the Bible, they were actually ancient manuscripts we found. Matthew was an eyewitness account of the resurrection that we found. And it was amazing to have one for such an ancient document. Then we found another one called Mark. An eyewitness account to the resurrection. Then we found another one called Luke. Then we found another one called John. Then Peter, who you just heard reported by the other four, wrote two letters we have. it. We have that many ancient documents. We bound them together now. They're in the Bible. But they were separate historical documents we found. To which you say, yeah, that's kind of what pastors are supposed to say. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what Thomas Arnold said. Thomas Arnold is the chairman of modern history at Oxford University. He's the author of this amazing series of books called The History of Rome, dictating what happened and, and showing what happened in Rome in those days. Here's what he says. I have been used to, for many years, studying the histories of other times to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquiry than the great sign that God had given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. So don't believe me, I'm just a pastor. But the chairman of modern history at Oxford says there's that much evidence if you're a fair inquirer. I'm going to invite the band to come out. Maybe you want that. Maybe you're like, Chet, I don't know if it is true, but I want that to be true. I want the hope that I know what happens in the next life. I want the hope that God can bring good out of bad that's in front of me. I want to know that I can be forgiven and forgive people because i got this grudge that's just really driving me crazy. Let me lead you in a prayer. Maybe it's just a way for you and your heart. If you close your eyes, it helps you. That's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. Just say, God, today's the day I'm going to make my beliefs my beliefs. I want that forgiveness. I want that hope. I thank you for dying, not just for people, but for me. I invite you into my heart. I want to love you and know you 
and I want to live eternally with you. And I want to go and tell others what you've done in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe you gave sight to the blind. I believe that the dead came to life. I believe there were wonders and signs. You're still the same. I believe every word that you said. I believe there are scars in your hands. That your goodness is good without him. You're never changed. I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age. In all generations, we'll bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Always. presence I know there is power power to save I will tell of your wonders sing of your grace the God of creation knows me by name the Lord is faithful yesterday now and always always your mercy is mighty Chapter eight, all generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, now and always, always. You are, you are, you always will.
If you are able to stand with us, let's all stand together and sing to a risen Christ the Lord, the King. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Sons of men and angels say. song death in vain forbids him rise Christ has opened paradise that image of Jesus returning to heaven that's the moment he told his friends I go to prepare a place for you and that's what I love about the Bible it's not just a big collection of rules and wise sayings it is loaded with real stories about real people who had a real encounter with a real God Thomas did, 
And I hope that you do too. Because with your faith in him, he wants to prepare a place for you as well. And so my hope for you as you go out today is that you touch and go with confidence and belief and have a happy Easter. Thank you for coming.